Is, uh, Deli hanging it out for Tom? What are you with all these questions? You some kind of detective? You are kind of edgy, aren't you? It's the heat and the low wages. So you want to watch a movie, but you don't know which. Choosing the one can be a bitch. But Jared and Drew have perfected the art. So sit back, relax, and trust the dark. It's dark for movie night. What's going on, everyone? I'm Drew. And I'm Jared. And welcome to Dartboard Movie Night, the podcast where we put 20 movies on a board, throw a dart at it, and let the fates decide. This week, we are getting back into noir with the reuniting of one of the actors and the filmmaker behind an all-time classic, Bonnie and Clyde. It's 1975's Night Moves, starring Gene Hackman at the peak of his powers and directed by Arthur Penn. This is a Jared edition, and uh, I couldn't be happier that we're going back to noir, man. Dude, I know. I, it's so funny. I wasn't really sure what this movie was, and then when I fired it up and started watching it for this show, I was like, oh my god, this is a, like a Trojan horse Drew pick. A little bit, it's yeah. Like, it's, 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 it's right um, up my alley. It's, it's definitely one of mine, but as I'm watching, it's like, oh, this is such a Drew movie, and I say that with love to both you and the film. Absolutely. Well, and we'll get into my thoughts, but I mean, I'm, I'm pretty sure you can guess how I felt about it. So yeah, there's um, a, there's a sprinkling of glee in your tone, but yeah, we'll see a little bit. There's a little pep in my step, but before we do that, why don't we give a quick board review so that people know what we have coming up on the board and potential for later tonight at number one, you can count on me. Number two, Akiru, number three, Zed, number four, Rio Bravo, number five, alien three, number six, Anomalisa, number seven, Amadeus, number eight, election, number nine, get Carter, number 10, the limey, number 11, Coraline, number 12, big night, number 13, tonight's episode, night moves, number 14, the karate kid, number 15, the friends of Eddie Coyle, number 16, secrets and lies, number 17, seven days in May, number 18, snatch, number 19, strange days, and number 20, altered states. Yeah, baby. New twenty sounds interesting. New twenty. It's it's just it just it's still. It, I still forget some of these more recent ones. Like Zed, I'm still not clocking that. And then you hit, I'm like, oh yeah, we got that new Zed movie. Yeah, that we'll check out one day. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I'm I'm. You know, there's a lot on here though. Even though we do have some new interesting ones, there's a lot that have been sitting on the board for quite a while. So I, I definitely like when we get to throwing the dart at the end of the night. I, I kind of want to throw out like. What are the ones that we're hoping to, to knock off, you know, finally? Yeah. yeah, yeah. All right. Let's get into it, Jared. This is one of your choices. How and why did it get on the board? I'm, I'm struggling to remember what the situation was, but I, I, I seem to remember there being two movies you were considering at the time. Yes, yes. So if I don't mention it every week, I probably mention it every other week, but here it is. <laughs> The bi-weekly shout-out to Videodrome, the brick-and-mortar DVD rental place near my house. Drew's been there last time you visited Atlanta. It's like, you know, for, for geeks like us... Heaven sent. It's just like, it's it's a candy store. You walk in there and you're like, oh my God. Because it also, like, it gives me so much joy because I hear, like, people our age or maybe five, ten years older than us talking about how great video stores were as parts of our childhood and our, 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 and how you ingested movies. And I love that it's still alive for me. I feel very blessed and fortunate. And it's a great, great rental store. So when it came to the week for whenever I nominated this, I was like, you know, let's take advantage of Videodrome. I'm going to walk into Videodrome 
and just look at the DVD jackets and the cases. And I'm going to pick something that just looks interesting to me. So, and then also I was like, I'm going to ask someone at the store for a recommendation. I think that's the more interesting way to do it. Because, I mean, obviously they carry some bad movies too. Like, the store is so catered to movie nerds like us that they have sections for directors, you know, where they have all of that director's movies that are available on on DVD or Blu-ray. And, like, you know, so they carry some shit in there too, like the, the bad ones within those filmographies. But the recommendation angle is the way that makes a lot of sense to me. And don't they, correct me if I'm wrong, but they have ones that have, like, a, a sticker or something that says, like, right. we recommend this one, you know? Yes. So I walked by, kind of wandered past the Arthur Penn section because he, oh, he has his own there. nice he has a section and i was like i don't know anything about this director i'm looking at the titles nothing looked super familiar i've never seen body and clyde i've certainly heard about it though but just it was like oh interesting and i see night moves i see gene hackman and there's a little blue sticker kind of in the in the jacket that just says recommended exclamation point and i was like okay i don't know anything about this movie i think i flipped over and started reading the jacket it was like Retired football player slash detective, private. I was like, no, 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 no. I don't want to know anymore. That's it. Recommended. And then I walked up to the front desk and talked to the to the guy there. And I was like, hey, what have you been seeing? Like kind of 70s-ish, like in that vibe, that vibe. And he told me about Dustin Hoffman's Straight Time. And I am still very interested in putting that on the board one day. But mm-hmm. I've taken this sort of sabbatical from putting movies from the 70s on because I was doing it so much for a while. I was like, I need to pump the brakes on it. I think that sabbatical will be coming to a close soon. But anyway, so you and I had a discussion of night moves versus straight time. And it's like Gene Hackman, Dustin Hoffman. We were torn. Uh, There's like a a big dog type of person in straight time. And we were kind of interested in that. We decided to flip a coin between the two. We went with night moves for Gene Hackman. So... One was a on-the-case recommendation by the sticker. The other was verbal. Um, But yeah, that's how Night Moves came to be. I mean, that's as good a reason as any. And I love that it's the Videodrome Recommends. Maybe that becomes its own kind of uh, recurring bit. Yeah, is, yeah, uh, I love that. Just grab one that's random from Videodrome. And maybe I'll ask you even to do that for me in the future as like in, as my representative. Yeah, you could give me a director or a, a genre or anything, and I could text you some pictures of jackets. Yeah. Oh, like, ooh, that's even that better. One? Yeah, just send me yeah, pictures yeah. so that I, I make the decision and I don't tell you what it is. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that would be fun. So I'm in the dark until you, you say You just it, know yeah. the, like, the nominees. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I love All right. that. All right, I'm into that. Yeah, let me know anytime. I'm going there. I'm going there after we record. So okay. Okay. Uh, just let me know if you want some pics. Will do. But to get into the movie itself... Since you put it on the board, I'll lead off with you. What did you think of Night Moves? Pretty sure I fucking love it, actually. Like, I watched it yesterday. I was like, yeah, this is good. This is good. This is a good detective, kind of a sweaty, noir type of good movie. I liked it. And then I speed rewatched it today. And it it's great as a first watch, but I think it was even so much richer and better as a second watch. And now I'm just kind of, it's it's swimming around my head a lot. You know, I finished the, the speed rewatch like a few hours ago. And I, I'm still thinking about this movie, obviously, in preparation for us talking about it. It just keeps growing. Just in the short amount of time that I've had with this movie, it's it's really fucking good, I think. And, and there's so many components to it that are good 
for me particularly, I'm a, I'm a sucker. I mean, who isn't a sucker for great dialogue? But there is some incredible writing in this for both a screenplay slash like structure idea and just dialogue. It's such a well-written fucking movie. Hackman is outstanding. I don't think there's a false note in any performance. And it's just a cool story. And it's just a cool, classic kind of Chinatown-like type of neo-noir sort of story. And I, I, I like it a lot. I think it's really, really good. Yeah, I'm right yeah. there with How, you. Yeah? Fuck yeah. Okay, good. I, I want to give it another watch to fully confirm that I love it. But I definitely was just having a great time watching it. I mean, it's a dark movie. It's kind of, it's part of this kind of subset of the noir genre that kind of feels like it's like making sense of the senseless a little bit, you know, mm-hmm. I kind of, I kind it's of feel like cynical. This, yeah. I think this movie fits in well with, uh, movies like, you know, no country for old men, for instance, um, which I actually consider that to be, you know, noir adjacent in some ways. I think it's a good companion piece with stuff like that. But, you know, it came out in this era that I just find really interesting and and rich from a um, filmmaking standpoint, which is like the early 70s paranoia phase, you know, like kind of post 60s at the height of the why the fuck are we in Vietnam kind of, you know, sentiment Um, mid Watergate. You know, this is 1975. It's like right during or after, you know, some of this stuff is happening. And, you know, you have the 60s coming out of that where, you know, all these figures that kind of represented hope, you know, had been assassinated brutally, you know, like in terms of uh, both the Kennedy brothers, you know, Bobby and JFK. And then mentioned in this movie, too. Yeah, absolutely. And then, uh, you know, uh, Dr. King, you know, getting getting shot in Memphis, like. These Malcolm events, X. yeah, Malcolm X as well. Uh, even though he was a little more controversial, more, but more controversial and not like universally seen as a as a beacon of hope and change, but but a, a very important figure to many. Absolutely, and and, and a driver of positive social change. Um, but yeah, so so you know, in the early seventies, you have these movies like All the President's Men and like The Parallax View and the conversation, you know, three days of condor or whatever. Yeah. Like all of these about just like kind of mistrust of institutions, even though this isn't about institutions by any means, it is about greed and jealousy and violence. And, and I think all of those things are are right in line with the movies that I'm talking about. And I, I I don't know. I just, I find this such a, a, an amazing period of filmmaking and this is right there with those movies. Dude, Absolutely. I'm so glad you dug it too, and I'm excited. Do you think you'll rewatch it sometime soon? Do you think you'll go like do a uh, maybe something you'll check out soon? Yeah, yeah. I don't know. Um, I've only watched it the one time, so you know it's it's not. Um, I don't have quite as fully fleshed out an opinion as you do, I guess, in in that sense. But um, I think you know every element of this movie really works for me. I love the the convoluted and and kind of confusing nature of everything going on because it's it's really meant to put you in the headspace of gene hackman's character who's just getting kind of like jerked around left and right 
and like never knows who to trust. And every time you think you can trust someone, then like they're proven to not be trust trustworthy. And like, you know, he gets suckered in, in the same, uh, the same way that you do in, into these things where you're like, Oh, I really like this character. And then you're like, wait, why the fuck is they, are they doing this now? Oh no. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, dude. It, it, it always reminds me of the big Lebowski movies like this, where you're just kind of with the protagonist and you're just as kind of confused and trying to figure things out as they are. Yeah. Um, and they're really, it's a really fun style of movie. Uh, you know, the big sleep, which we covered on the show, obviously another great, great noir. Oh yeah. Well, um, and China, and Chinatown in was the year before oh, man, this. Dude. I fucking love Chinatown. Yeah. It's like a top 20 movie of all time for me. I love that movie. I mean, in back-to-back years, you had The Long Goodbye, Chinatown, and this, which are all like reviving that noir genre. It's really cool. Yeah, it's super cool. And I found it interesting because I've always wondered, what's the difference between noir and neo-noir? And I saw some sort of like TCM YouTube clip that, explained one component of the differences. And I was like, oh, that makes sense. And they said, neo-noir is one of their components is they're more about the person that's doing the detecting. It's not as much, I mean, it is about the case as well, but it's more about the human being at the center of it. And noir is more about the case is something they said. And it's like, I could, I could kind of see that, well, I guess. I don't know if I agree with that simply because I think that's also what those movies from the 40s and 50s were doing. I mean, like, you brought up the big sleep like that's very much like focused on the philip marlowe oh, character yeah, and um but we don't get glimpses into his personal life really you know i don't like, it's really, i don't it's know really about all that. about the case yeah no i guess you're right okay i see what you're saying so like yeah. the 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 extending beyond just the detective yes. aspect yeah and like seeing like um like in this movie, in Night Moves, as an example, like seeing what's going on with his wife and her affair and things like that. Like we get we get more about, which I love, by the way, more about what who is this guy? What's Gene Hackman's who obviously plays Harry Mosby, the lead? Like what's he, what's his home life like? And his wife is I don't know. It's just cool. We get this kind of fleshed out guy who's obviously trying to distract himself with work to some degree. Yeah, it, it, this movie is. It's a much sadder protagonist, I feel like, than most noir. Um, you you really and and I, I I feel like that's a flavor that I haven't totally gotten from Gene Hackman in another movie. Like I've gotten the paranoia and the 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 manic energy and the the you know he's he's done like the you know the stoicism and you know all that kind of stuff. Like I, I've seen him do that, but the just kind of downtrodden, weary, and like kind of like. I don't know, just beleaguered kind of look that he has in this movie. I think past his prime. Yeah, and and it still has elements of those other things. Um, but the prevailing sense that I get from the character in this movie is just kind of like, oh, what the fuck, you know, that kind of reaction. Just like, why is this happening to me? In addition to these other things. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, God. Um, as we're kind of like, I mean, we're just in the movie now, I think, right? We're just talking yeah. about it. Let's get a little more into how fucking good Hackman is in this movie. Like, I mean, I don't know it's what there is man. to say beyond it, but like, he is such a natural. And I, I guess that's so like easy to say, but like, every he just beams authenticity yeah. in, in pretty much everything he does. And we spoke about Hackman on an episode, The Birdcage, a while back, and that was obviously a very different type of performance than that. Mm-hmm. But just it does speak to his range that he's 
incredibly capable of going for absurdly comedic and big and silly. And then we have something like this, which is just so distilled and so, um, again, just so authentic, <laughs> authentic. It's so, so authentic. Like, yeah. it just, it just oozes reality to me. There's not a single false note. I love the way he twists words and lines, like especially things like when he's fighting and arguing with either his wife or the the person he she's having the affair with, like. And then even in in simpler times when it's just a conversation that is there's stuff beneath the surface, but it's just a, a normal like he's just got such a grasp of language and yeah. diction, and he's just again seems effortlessly real it doesn't seem like he's trying very hard to act he just it just seems like he's just, just kind of existing in that character yes. yeah totally it's, it's really impressive i don't know if he was method i don't i don't think he was um and i'm saying past tense not because he's passed away I, I'm, he's just retired he, he's yeah. yeah he's been retired from film acting and I, it by all accounts like he's a much happier person uh, as a result which i i'm good for him man uh, cause he was, he was known as kind of a crotchety dude, uh, back in the day, but yeah, he just, he's one of these actors that just, when he takes on a character, he becomes that character. Literally no performance he's given feels like he, that I've seen anyway, um, feels like he's not completely fucking locked in. Mm-hmm. Yep. I feel the same way. I mean, he, what, when is he bad? What, can I'm sure he has some. Like, I mean, I'm sure, I'm sure he's, he's got in bad movies. His last but fi- like, the last movie he was in was a comedy with him and Ray Romano called Welcome to Mooseport. And I got to believe he oh, was probably checked I've out I've seen that, that movie. Have I've you? seen that movie. It's not very good, but he's fine. He's, there's nothing wrong with him. <laughs> okay, and, and who doesn't like Ray Romano also, who is an underrated comic? Like, obviously, everyone knows him for Everybody Loves Raymond and certainly for... More recently, he's been getting some really good acting roles, and he's doing really well with it. But he's got a, a, a stand-up special on Netflix that came out in like 2017, and it is fantastic. And it's like him walking between these two. He's doing two different 30-minute sets. It's these two clubs in New York that are around the corner from each other, and it's really cool. So I'd, re- I'd recommend that. But anyway. Well, there you have it, is, folks. Jared is, is on the record as defending Welcome to Mooseport. Yes, <laughs> and um, don't sleep on Ray Romano, <laughs> one of maybe one of the most iconic comics in recent time. <laughs> What's funny is like I can't even call that a hot take because there's nothing hot about it. It's it's like it's, it's, like, it's a milk take. It's it's a lukewarm take. It's a yeah, it's, it's a milk toast up. take. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so more more to get back to Hackman. Um, Would you call this your favorite Hackman performance? That's a fucking great question. It's up there for me, for sure. Well, I've got a lot of blind spots, so I'll rattle some off of like Hackman performances I really dig. The conversation is fucking great. Birdcage, as mentioned, is awesome. I really like him in Heartbreakers. Mm-hmm. That movie's fucking really solid, and he's awesome in that. I am a big fan of Behind Enemy Lines. I think that movie is underrated. And actually, me and my friends have been talking about revisiting that as a group just for some fun. And I'm very excited about that. Um, You want to talk about a movie that he could have phoned in, absolutely, and chose not to, that movie. Like, you know, on paper, that's like a B action movie. Like, fucking Owen Wilson as an action star? (laughs) I'm with Owen. And he's really just on the phone the whole time. He doesn't have that much to do. But he doesn't phone Uh, it in. 
No, he, ironically, and he's he's fucking he's solid in it. I, I so that's certainly not the answer for my no, favorite, no, no, no. but I'm yeah. just saying it's good. What's your favorite? Um, I think it's Night Moves. Based on what I've seen, I think this is. I think I like what this about French Connection even more. Um, D- did you mention that? I don't. I didn't hear you. I mention did not that. mention that, and that's a that's a great, obviously a great movie and a great performance. Popeye Doyle is pretty legendary as far as characters go. He is, but I think I I think I prefer this one. Okay. This guy's. I can root for this guy a little more, which doesn't mean that's a flaw. Popeye is not supposed to be the easiest no. person to watch or digest or take in or work with or whatever. No, it's kind of um, the whole point of the movie. <laughs> yeah, he's a prickly pear. He's a tough customer. He's racist. He's a you know he's he's wouldn't fly in today's uh, film landscape, but um, but I think something about this one, the edges are a little more smooth, but he's still. He's still like masculine and and has elements of difficulty to him, but he's not so off putting. So for me, for my taste, I think I, I'm going with Night Moves. How about you? Where where does this rank? And and what are the other greats for you? Um, you mentioned most of them. I just think the conversation is unbelievable, and that performance is is probably my favorite. In terms of ones that you didn't list, the only one that really jumps out to me is Bonnie and Clyde, uh, just because he is really great in that movie, and it makes sense to me why he, reuniting with Arthur Penn was was you know works so well in this movie. Like they they clearly work together uh, in a, in a really good way. Um, Hackman in, in Bonnie and Clyde plays kind of the the you know the main supporting character who is uh, I I can't remember how he's related, but he's related in some way to Clyde. And I, but he's like kind of an alcoholic and a little bit of a liability. And, uh, yeah, he's, he's phenomenal in that. This just occurred to me and I want to get your take on it. Do you think Hackman would have been good as Fitzcarraldo? Oh yeah. He 100% would have knocked that out of the park. I think he would have been a great fit for That's a really good alternate casting. And for anyone who hasn't, um, seen that movie or listened to that episode it give it a watch it's it's that one's fascinating very cool yeah. very cool movie and it's i've had a hard time thinking of who could be better than klaus kinski because he's amazing and i think that hackman so far is the only person i can think of that was like oh, i could see it being as good maybe even better but it, anyway. it's that is a complete alternate universe though because th- there is no universe that i am aware of in which gene hackman would be willing to go into the jungle for months on end uh, for dealing with years. dysentery <laughs> and you know tribes trying to murder him yeah yeah but i wish i could see it but anyway yeah hackman is fucking great and he is great in this he really is but uh, the acting across the board i feel like in this movie is is excellent there are some real standouts in this. I think we should probably start with Jennifer Warren. She's so good in this. And I think, like, again, it's another femme fatale character that kind of is, is as opposed to being played as this, you know, mysterious, sultry, you know, woman who lures this the main character in she's sad you know this again kind of going back to this movie being sad like she doesn't look happy to be doing what she's doing in a lot of ways and i think that that comes to fruition at the end but yeah she just like constantly looks like oh, i don't want to do this you know and 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 but she still is alluring in in 
her own way as well. Like it's it's a weird balance that she strikes, and I don't think I've ever seen it in one of these yeah. movies before. She's not the typical femme fatale of like a woman leaned up against the door frame with a cigarette holder. Well, know? just I and mean, like, we brought up body heat. I mean, you look at yes. like Kathleen Turner in that movie, and just like you know, I mean, she's just like. I, I'm going to fuck anything femme. that I want to fuck. It's like the yeah. energy she brings to that. And like, she's a goddamn sexual Tyrannosaurus. Absolutely. <laughs> um, um, and, and you totally are like, well, no shit. This guy is turned on by this girl. But yeah. like, this one is like, it, it's a more subtle thing. Yes. It's, it's like more real, you know, another example of, like I say, a classic femme fatale would be like basic instincts or something like that, where it's like, okay, yeah, this is like, well, within the smoldering neo-noir form of that. Absolutely. Yeah. It's like the smoldering ember hot woman who is, you don't really know what her aim is. And she's like out of this world, sexy and can just manipulate and squeeze juice out of like any person. Yeah. She's not really doing that here. She, I mean, she is, manipulating things to a degree to a large degree and she's her hands are not clean but there's something about it that just seems so authentic to me again i I guess that's the word that keeps coming to my mind when i'm whether i'm talking about hackman or anything this Mm -hmm. movie seems to have a lot of authenticity and reality to it it does feel very grounded and i can imagine all these people existing you know a lot of these kind of classic femme fatales they're just like okay women aren't like that this 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 performance is so real and she is incredibly sexy but in a way that is believable you know what i mean it's like i've met women like her you know yeah it's it's one of these we can cut this if it doesn't if it's not correct um but i i seem to remember her saying a line in the first few scenes that she's in you know when gene hackman first gets to florida and I, I seem to remember there being a line about her kind of alluding to the fact that they, like she was in this situation because she didn't really have other options. Um, and, and there's like, it was something along the lines of like, well, what else was I supposed to do? You know, what else do you do around here or something like that? I think to me, like that is a perfect defining line for that character where it's like, she doesn't feel like she has any other options other than to go along with this plan, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. She's kind of boxed in by life and choices. I mean, when she when she kind of rattles through her her career history in a way, when Hackman's just kind of poking around, she's like used to be a teacher. She was a sex worker for a time or a stripper, I believe. And like she's she's like obviously has been bludgeoned up a little bit by life and has navigated her way through it and kind of leapfrogged from opportunity to opportunity and just found a way to survive. So um, she's she's certainly not uh, straight up villainous in this movie. No, well, I mean, and and he also point blank asks her like, what's what is the relationship between you and Tom? Like, are you guys is are you dating? And she's like, she like doesn't have a clear answer for that. Yeah, she ducks it kind of. Yeah, she just she just kind of is like, well, no, is you know it is what it is kind of thing, and like and like never defining it. I don't know. I kind of feel like in a lot of ways, this character is uh, like a, a good pairing next to the Faye Dunaway character in Chinatown, where it's someone who, yes, their hands are not totally clean, but they are boxed in by their situation more than they are doing it uh, willfully and out of malice. Yeah. And spoiler alert for both Chinatown and tonight's movie night moves. We're sad when these characters die, both of them, like, which proves that like, even though they make mistakes and whatever, like, it's not a like, yeah, fuck you. Like they're not, 
they're not like villains. They're just they're 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 people trapped in a difficult situation who are trying to get by, and um, they just get got, and it's and it's rough. And um, God, she is just so she's just so good in this. I'm looking at the rest of her career, by the way, as we're talking, and. I guess she directs as well. In 1994, she released a directorial effort called The Beans of Egypt, Maine, hmm. which you know drew my eyes because it has Maine in the title, which is where I'm from for people who might not know. Don't worry, I won't let it go unsaid for very long. Um, <laughs> but what I want to ask you, Drew, is is this the type of uh, – because I have never seen her that I can think of in anything Mm-mm. before this film. Is, this the, is the performance strong enough – to pique your interest about her career overall? Does it got you thinking like, I want to see more of her because she really stunned me in this. I mean, it it definitely does and on some level. I I don't know if there's anything really on her filmography that I would jump at the opportunity to watch necessarily just because I, I just don't recognize any of them. And, you know, if somebody gave me a recommendation, absolutely. Um, I, it, it more just leaves me scratching my head as to why she didn't have a bigger career as an actress in that way. Yeah, because she is so, f- so awesome in this. Yeah. Another, another, and it'll be a recurring theme, I think, through this episode, no false notes in this no. performance. Very, Everything very natural. Seems natural, sincere, realistic. So also, I mean, a lot of that credit must go to Penn's directing style. Definitely. He seems to be, he seems to have... A great way of of communicating with his actors, and I think I think I heard somewhere that he tells them to to just try anything, and like I think he he, he views his job as like give these actors permission and give them the confidence to try anything, and he kind of says like I'll protect you, like if it's not good, nobody is going to see it, so don't worry about it, like like do whatever you think, and we will find it together it just comes across that all these performances are so strong so clearly he's got just a great chemistry with these people really yeah absolutely going back to what we were saying about why did jennifer warren not have a bigger presence in in major filmmaking beyond this point someone who did was the 16 year old uh debut performance from melanie griffith who is you know, a huge figure in Hollywood. Um, she's the daughter of Tippi Hendren, who's one of uh, Hitchcock's blondes from from The Birds. Really? And, I didn't know that. That's cool. Yeah. Um, and she, you know, this is her debut in, in feature films. And she, I, I think, is really great as this young uh, kind of ingenue character. Uh, it makes me a li- feel a little bit icky that she's 16 when they filmed this, especially considering how many nude scenes she has. Uh, that's, yeah, that's really, really upsetting. But as as the movie kind of rolled out, and I was like, you know, we first get like a little bit of a boob shot, and it's just like, please let it be that she's 18 when they film this. Like, and no. then there's a, the, the skinny dipping scene, and I was like, please 18, and then like looked up, it's like fuck, she was 16. Damn it! Like it's just like it just it's just icky like you're saying and it's just like i don't know why this made a difference at all but they filmed this movie in 1973 and delayed the release by two years um because she was 16 when she filmed those scenes why that matters at all given the fact that they were filmed when she was 16 is beyond me but i guess that's uh that's that era's logic for you yeah yeah and it's just um 
Yeah, it's 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 a bummer, and it does make the movie uh, controversial. But let's like tunnel into the performance itself. Yes, I don't want it's, it to be defined by that. Yeah, it's fucking great. It really is. And, it works. And the fact that she's actually sixteen is like makes her terrifying. Like, and you see it in Hackman. She has that one scene where he's sitting in the chair backwards, and she's like, "I read in a book somewhere that if a guy sits that way, it means you know." They're afraid of girls. And he's like, I guess you could say that. And he's clearly like just trying to keep this like because she is kind of just like a like a nympho, you know, like an old school kind of like nympho girl, you know, and she's like she plays it so well. And it's really just like it kind of puts you, I think, in Hackman's mindset of just like because she's like so flirty and she's she's a very beautiful girl but she's a fucking girl so you're just like no no and like, yeah like, she's also someone who is acting out as a teenager too you know yes, like i think yes. that is you know as much as i feel icky about you know the 16 year old uh of it all but it, it you know that is written into the character that she's kind of like this rebellious teen who you know is kind of trying to get back at her mom and settle the score as they say early in the the movie um so you know that the her i i wouldn't call her a nympho simply because you know nymphomania implies that there's like a compulsion to it and i don't think that's her motivation at all her motivation is manipulation Oh, so you think it's all vengeance? In a, well, all that, like I think that's of... what the movie is communicating. You know, oh, I, 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 I think there's more agency in it than than they're giving her credit for. But I do think that there is a motivation of like, you know, fuck you, I'm going to do what I want. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it's a it's a really strong performance. And Melanie Grip, we've never really talked about her on the show. I don't think. I am. Such a fan of Something Wild. That is a great, great movie. And, and she is unbelievable in it. Dude, talk about, like, get out of her way, man. She is, like, in that movie, she is just so sexy and interesting and charismatic. And, like, again, like we always talk about with these acting greats, you know, regardless of the gender, can't take your eyes off. She's totally one of those people. Just, like, she just sucks the attention. Just and not even like in like a you know a way of like being uh, needy or like needs a, needs attention. Not in a big way. You're just naturally she just naturally siphons energy to her. You know what I mean? Yeah. And she's just she's fucking great. And yeah, so something wild is kind of my my favorite performance of hers. Um, what are you familiar with? her outside of this film of night moves i mean i mean more than anything i'm just familiar with her as a a celebrity i'm not well versed in her filmography but obviously you know something wild is one of my favorites Um, oh she's in working girl (laughs) you're you're gonna watch that soon exactly we in the pre-chat i i mentioned that i've got working girl kind of sitting on deck for me as a new movie a a movie that i really want to check out i've you know i'm interested to see another flavor of harrison ford after uh kind of a being in the midst of all this Indiana Jones talk recently. Um, so yeah, so looking forward to watching that, looking forward to watching Body Double, which is a Brian De Palma movie that I've never seen. Um, so she's got some like that I plan to watch. I just like, I, I'm more just familiar with her because she is one of these figures in Hollywood being, you know, ch- you know, celebrity or, or acting royalty, you know, kind of, she's like in the the same category as Jamie Lee Curtis and, uh, you know, people like that. Laura so, Dern. Laura Dern. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so yeah. So like, I, I think 
that's my main background with her. So it was really cool to see her in this performance and, and really have no preconceived notions about who she is and as an actor, um, really only knowing something wild and loving it. Um, and just, you know, being able to embrace it as a, a, one of the better debut performances I've seen in a long time. Yeah. She's fucking awesome. She's awesome in this movie. And again, it's like, it's really tragic when she dies and it really, it really shakes Hackman up and like, he really cared for this person. And, and in, in some ways in the cleanest way of anybody in this film, you mm-hmm. know, everyone else is kind of drawn in through th- this reason or another to her. And Hackman is the person who's there consoling her when she has the nightmare. And it's like, it's like everyone else forgets that she's a 16 year old girl. She's a kid. And Hackman seems to be the only person who sees it clearly. Yeah. And, and does like the proper thing in that moment, which is this person just needs to be consoled after being kind of shaken up by seeing this like dead guy in a plane underwater sort of thing. And everyone else is kind of like, doesn't view her as 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 fragile you know no and as you're talking about it i think it's really solidifying for me that this movie is more progressive than you would think given the the circumstances of doing that nude scene with with a 16 year old girl because the movie is really about like you're sympathizing with gene hackman who is as you said the only one who seems to recognize this as a child you know and and who someone who needs protecting in a way you yeah. know well when um, she when she jumps into the water, it's kind of skinny dips in for the first time. I think it's Jennifer Warren who says like Hackman says something about sharks. And she's like, are you worried about sharks when she's in the water? You know, and it's kind of like an offhanded joke about how dangerous this girl is. But I think it goes to what we're talking about here of like, nobody views her as this fragile 16 year old kid, except for Hackman. Right. And like, I think when, even when she's coming on to him, there's no point in that scene where it feels like Hackman is leaning into that, you know, like, like he's, he's he's looking at, he, well, he's, he's on his heels maybe to an extent, but I think it's more, he's, he's like observing it, you know, he's like, he's like, I know this is false. I, you know, I see the act going on here and, and it seems like no one else does. And they, like everyone is crediting her as this, you know, super beyond her years person. And in reality, she is a kid. And I think that's, that's really interesting when you're talking about it. That's kind of like opening up what I, you know, how I view those things. We have, um, we have a lot of, there's a ton of actors in this movie, obviously. There's a ton of characters in this. And a lot of them are kind of smaller, but I still want to give them shout outs as well. I really love Janet Ward, who plays Arlene Iverson. She's like the old kind of like the over the hill actor who talk about a fucking horn dog. Dude, she is such a horn dog and is really funny. And that's when the movie kind of, I think, slides into a more kind of classical noir mold are those, especially those initial scenes between her and Hackman, where she's just like so aggressively trying to seduce him. And he is just having none of it. He shoots down <laughs> Not seduction interested. By, by many people in this movie. Like, well, it's because no. he's getting cucked on the side. <laughs> he's yeah, he's yeah, completely emasculated. Yeah, yeah. But she, I just, as, as the alcoholic, uh, like pub, obsessed with attention, you know, kind of person, I thought she was excellent, and yeah. I was like, "God, she's really she's playing this perfectly." She's really funny, and I um, I enjoyed all of her scenes. And I think, man, you want to talk about a character that has a lot going on on the inside, where th- this woman is broken. 
Like she has gotten tossed aside by Hollywood. She's living off of the her daughter's trust fund and desperately throwing herself at at any man that crosses her path. And then on top of that, like you see the scene at the end once she uh, gets the news that Delhi has has died in that car accident. You know, Gene Hackman ac- accuses her in that moment of being like unaffected by it and I mean, I I see something different, which is she's just like drinking herself into a stupor to avoid those feelings, you know, and like, it's like, yeah, that character is is just a shell of a person. Yeah, she's a husk. She is a complete and total husk. And it's a great performance to communicate that is what I'm saying. Yeah, yeah. Excellent performance. And, uh, and just another like, just kind of brilliant cloud on the landscape of this movie of like the view of it it's like there's so many people in this it's really it's like when i look scroll through the cast list on imdb or wherever it's like there are a lot of characters in this movie and and they're all really really fucking good it's actually it's a little bit more of an ensemble than i was giving it credit for i think um although you know it's it's clearly about hackman but um i really love Edward Bins as Joey Ziegler. So he's the guy with the cast and he's the person in the plane at the end of the film. And he, I just thought he was fucking awesome. Like yeah. I absolutely love that performance. Although I don't, there, there are questions I have about the story in this movie. Um, I, I want to be clear up front though. I, I don't think this movie is meant to make sense necessarily. It, okay, cool. Then, so in a kind of big sleepish sort of way, you mean like a little bit? Just, yeah. Well, because well, yeah. again, you're like in the perspective of Gene Hackman's character. You are Mosby as the audience, and he is as confused as anybody as why everything is happening. Is it confirmed that that Melanie Griffith's character was was killed? Like, who do we? I'm guessing that the that the guy who's in the car with her, who gets the cast, who we're talking about. And then they have James Woods kind of fuck with the car, you know. So all these things, I think it was an intentional deal. And then we find James Woods in the dolphin pen, you know, that whole thing. So he's like, he's part of it and he's dead now, you know. Um, so I, th- I guess I'm, I'm, I'm talking myself into being it was intentional. It was arm cast guy. You know what I mean? But well, like, but I mean, whether or not he he killed Delhi intentionally, I think that that could still be up to, for debate because I don't remember anything clarifying why he would have done it that way if he's going to kill her. Like, you know, like like I, I I mean, he just as easily could have died in that that car crash. And and Gene Hackman, you know, alludes to that when they watch the, the uh, footage of it. There's some amount of like backstabbing, like there's a whole other side story happening in the background of this movie that could be a movie in and of itself where all these people like set out with this scheme in mind of like, you know, getting this relic from, from uh, uh, the Yucatan and, and bringing it back in pieces. And clearly like James Woods must be involved to some extent. The pilot, you know, that we find in the, the sunken plane early in the movie, like the, the stunt man, like he obviously is involved in some way. I don't know where Delhi fits into all of that, I guess is that's what I get lost on. And I think maybe she's just kind of collateral damage in this other shit that's happening. Yeah. Yeah. That could be, it is, it is confusing. So I am buying kind of what you're saying. That's like, yeah, maybe don't, don't strain your brain too much on it. Like it's just, you know, it's not really about the crime so much as it is about the characters, you know. 
Speaking about Edward Ben specifically, though, he's an actor that I'm I'm actually fairly familiar with. I've seen him pop up in a lot of stuff. Uh, I mean, one of your favorites, The Verdict, he's in that movie. Um, mm-hmm. I remember his face from that. I don't totally remember what his character is doing in it. It's been a while since I've seen it. Do you remember? I don't. I don't actually. Um, yeah, I don't remember. Well, he's also in Patton, so I remember him from that. And then one of my favorite movies, 12 Angry Men, um, he's one of the jurors in, in the original 12 Angry Men. Or, mm-hmm. But yeah, ten, uh, he's great in 12 Angry Men. I love that movie. And um, all those actors and, and, you know, all 12 jurors are fantastic in it. I just find him so funny in this. I don't, something about his like his his diction, his cadence, all that stuff. I don't know. He's very he's very funny. And then I was truly surprised to see how he was kind of involved in all this scheming and stuff until the end. So kind of a a twist that got me there. Oh, I was completely shocked when he was the one in the plane. I, I and I don't normally get shocked by those kind of twists, but I did not see that coming. And you know, I think you could. Like, like if someone is watching this movie and is, is having a bad faith take on it, I think you could write it, you could knock this movie in the sense of like, that doesn't make sense. Why would that character do this? But that's the point, you know? And, and it's like, I hate, you know, that's kind of a cop out in some ways. And I feel like it can be used as an excuse for a bad movie script. But in this circumstance, it feels organic to, to what they're doing with everything else in this movie because nothing else adds up either, you know? And, and that's, and again, like that is the point of this where it's like, you are in the perspective of this guy who's just like, how the fuck did I get wrapped up, wrapped up in this? And why are these people doing these things? I really want to talk about the ending of this movie just because like, I think it's an incredible ending. It is like, holy shit. What a great ending, but I do have questions about it. And maybe these questions aren't super important, but one of the questions I have is, is is he going after Jennifer Warren's character intentionally in the plane? Is he trying to run her down? Because one thing I didn't understand was how fast he was kind of taxiing on the water towards the relic. It seemed like super reckless. And then he kind of runs her over, kills her with the plane. And then there's that incredible shot of the plane separating from the pontoons. Such a great stunt, dude. Unbelievable. That has to be in conversation for best stunt when we do our units. So fucking cool. That thing One is of the coolest shots I've seen ass. in ages. Dude, it's going so fast. And it's like Well, and then, it's, and then, it's, and then the it's like awesome. Well, and then the husk of the plane like like collides with the boat and like, you know, like mm-hmm. I mean, and it doesn't look like a miniature because I think I see an actor in the boat. Like when it happens, it looks like they just basically did it for real. <laughs> yeah, dude, like, and it looks amazing. I don't know how they did it. It's it's a really really incredible scene because um, it's multiple shots. It's not just one shot, but like, but even still, like they, I yeah, I don't know how they did it. It's it's really impressive. And I still don't understand why he was going that fast, but whatever. Maybe he's not a great pilot. Well, but maybe then, that's like, part of it. He's got one arm. So I read. Roger Ebert's review and I wanted to actually bring him up because he called this the second best movie of 1975 the only one he put ahead of it was Nashville the Robert Altman film which is you know one of PTA's favorite movies and a big blind spot of mine I started it and I couldn't finish it yeah I, well so I, I would be down I to revisit it just saying um, yeah that's an idea <laughs> But, no, but I should be more ashamed than you. I stopped it. <laughs> I was like, I can't handle this 
chaos. I'm walking away. That's more embarrassing than not having seen it. Fair enough. Well, either way, Roger Ebert in his review mentioned the way this movie ends, the final shot of it, that that big helicopter shot of the boat kind of just going in circles. And he mentioned it as like, it's the perfect metaphor for this movie and, and everything that's going on with it, you know, just getting trapped in this perpetual like roundabout thing, nothing being achieved, nothing being figured out, never being, you know, like, like it's, it's exactly, he's exactly right with that. I feel yeah. like. Oh my God. And just the, all the layers to this ending and how amazing it is. Metaphorically. I like this stuff with the looping that you're saying that, that Ebert kind of, brought to the conversation but in addition to that there's just the fact I, I i love in movies when a great idea makes sense to the reality of things it makes sense that they these people have a glass bottom boat based on what they do for a living mm-hmm. and that is so effectively used for that one of those final shots where we see who is in the plane through the bottom of the glass bottom boat and Hackman kind of has his hand on the glass and is watching this guy drown in the plane. Well, and the guy drowning, it seems to be looking up at him and being like, oh, him. Jesus, I didn't know that's who was up, up there, you know? like, Oh, really? You th- I didn't catch that. I think that makes sense. Yeah, well, I didn't put that together until, again, Roger Ebert like mentions that in, in his review. You should really go read it because he's got... I'd love to. There's the original review he did in 1975 and then there's the one where he revisited it in 2006 and that's the one that I'm referencing. And yeah, he he brought that up as a possibility. And I think it's a, a beautiful reading of it because it, it is, again, right in line with the confusion, the the senselessness, the just like, you know, uh, people like collateral damage that's caused by the, the greed of these people. Oh, um, yeah. Oh, and just the let's give another shout out to the intensity of that performance like that actor really has to be in water and they really have to have this big f- cast on their arm. It's a scary scene to be acting in. I don't know where they were hiding oxygen tanks or how they handled all that stuff, but the terror in his face as the plane goes down is so frightening and real. And it's an amazing kind of performance piece. And it's so quiet. It's the, that scene is hauntingly silent as it's just underwater and Hackman has his hand on the glass bottom boat glass. And I'm just like, holy hell. And then we get the bleakness of of kind of an ambiguous ending. Somewhat, you know, kind of reminds me of the thing a little bit where it's not really certain what happens next. But I think there's plenty of room for interpretation that Hackman doesn't survive this. Oh, absolutely. And, and also... I was kind of tired of in movies, people get shot in the leg and it's like not a big deal. Finally, we see someone in a film get shot in the leg and it's life threatening and they can't move and they're bleeding. Like it's always like not. I will say, I feel like he could have dragged himself up to, to get to yeah, the, the throttle, you know? Yeah. I think he could kind of maybe stand on one leg, but I've never been shot before. It'd be so one maybe, thing if there not. was something blocking him, but the chair is folded down. He has a clear path. He could sit on the chair. Like, there's a lot of things he could do. Also, he seemed to take no steps towards like tourniquets or like any sort of basic like what you would do in that sort of situation. And as someone in his line of work and also with his football background, you think he'd have some idea of how first aid works. Well, but. I think you can also read that he's kind of giving up in that moment a little bit. He doesn't make any Maybe. attempt to steer the boat after he hits the throttle. And yeah. like I, I think like 
it's possible that he's going to bleed out. I think, you know, he, he even probably does. Like, I think that there's a probable reading of it where, you know, he's already selling off his, his detective agency. You know, his wife is gone and he's kind of resigned himself to that. Um, like, I think that like the character in so many ways just like has no will to live anymore. Yeah. Yeah. God, it's such a good ending. It's dark and it's very bleak and it's um there's a lot you can read into it but it's one of my favorite endings we've ever covered on the show. I completely agree and I I think like you, it it really comes back around to what I said at the beginning about Hackman and the, the performance. It's just sad. This movie is not devastating. I don't I wouldn't say like it's not one of those like like, you know, you've already spoiled the ending of Chinatown so I don't have to I don't have to worry about it but the ending of that movie is just like devastating it's like oh my god that like I can't believe that's how they're going to wrap this thing up whereas this one doesn't it doesn't feel that way to me it more just feels like fuck man that's a that is a, such a bummer <laughs> like you know and it, it's like I, I don't know why that's different in my mind but it is it's it's like the feeling of like inevitability versus like like something that is just so awful that you could never have imagined it, you know? I will say one more thing about Edward Benz. I I mean, not to loop back to him again, but... Sure, go for it. He says a word that we need to be using a lot more in society these days. He calls the the documentary crew and the documentary that's being shot, you know, the footage that he's showing Gene Hackman of the crash... Uh, he's like some cockamamie documentary documentary, but cockamamie. We need to say yeah. that word more often. Let's start it here and now, Drew. It's fantastic. Cockamamie. It is. I don't really know what it means, to be honest. Is it just it like means ridiculous head? or absurd. Just like, you yeah. know, something that's like not to be taken seriously. <laughs> yeah. I love cockamamie, man. It's and it, it actually just as I said it just now felt good coming Doesn't out. Doesn't it read? Yeah, it rolls. Yeah. It rolls better than it reads in a way. Let's bring it back. Let's bring yep. it back. Fuck yeah, dude. I'm right there with you. Cockamamie 2024. We've already mentioned James Woods. You know, he doesn't have a huge part in this movie, but I I, I think he's effective. Um, Real big piece of shit these days, but uh, I do like him as an actor. I can't help but enjoy his performances. I have never got it with him. Really? Yeah. Like, why do people think he's so great? Uh, And I don't even know the personal stuff you're alluding to. I'm just being on the screen. I'm like, he's fine. But like, I mean, when, he when plays he that... similar characters all the time. Like, he has one kind of mode, but I think he does it so well. Like, I, I, I'm thinking of like Contact. I love him in Contact. He is so good as the shit heel, you know, uh, a, a politician type that is like trying to, you know, or I don't know. He's just like a. Is that a good movie? Contact. Contact is yeah. phenomenal. How have you, you've never seen Contact? Never seen Contact. I'm Brother, looking it up right now. Come on. I don't know if I've heard about this. Jodie Foster, McConaughey, nice. It's Bob Zemeckis. It's the guy who did fucking Who Framed Roger Rabbit, Back to the Future, uh, uh, Castaway. Like it's mm. it's it was a huge movie in 1997. The thing about James Wood in this though, in Night Moves, he just seems kind of like a cliche. Like we's like when he's huddled up in like the corner with like a broken nose and he's like, yeah, see the girl came in. See, like he's kind of like, he, he's the only person that doesn't seem authentic to me. He seems like he's just in like an old school classic detective movie where he's yeah. like, why would I do that fella? Like, you know, you think, you think, I don't know. He's not saying those words, but yeah. I'm saying that's sort of the energy he's kind of projecting, but it's fine. Like yeah. I didn't, I didn't hate it. I'm just not yeah. a huge James Woods guy, I guess. 
didn't bug me at all. Um, yeah, but to each their own. I really love the strength of the dialogue in this movie. It's a fucking incredible screenplay, and it's just it's so well done. And I just had a couple of lines I really liked and wanted to highlight. He'd fuck a woodpile on the chance there's a snake in it. A gl- <laughs> and they're talking about if the stuntman and the kind of the Black Widow character that they say he's like a blind man on a galloping horse would have known. Um, and then uh, just just more great lines. Like this is such a classic noiry line. There's a uh, Hackman says to our girl, like you're kind of edgy, aren't you? And she says it's the heat and the low wages. Like I love that. And just like I just think about good clean thought. Thanksgiving, George Washington's teeth. And also just like the Did you have to come out here and break in when he's when he's like turned up the music at the house? Mm-hmm. And and he's like, I thought I did, yeah. And I mean that one's more like delivery, but the movie is so great. And I from a writing perspective, and I love this whole arc that we haven't really discussed much, but the whole affair side of this, that that uh, that actor who plays that guy is so fucking great. And those conversations are so bothered. It's like, you say Harry one more time, I'm going to make you eat that cat. And it's just like, I just love the seeing what's going on in this guy's personal life. It's just so fucking well written. And there are so many quotable lines in it. And it's one of my favorite, you know, in that kind of noir classical sense of having snappy dialogue. This definitely has that. Absolutely. No, I completely agree. What do you say we wrap up with some final notes on Night Moves? Yep. Sounds good. I have lately been really enjoying how Florida comes across in film. It's a state that can be hit or miss. It's been growing in my mind lately, but even just seeing it on camera, it looks good. Like you could sense the heat, you can feel the heat, the coast, and like the this kind of scuba shacky sort of place. Like, I don't know. It just was. It was really coming across in this movie, and I really loved it. So shout out to Florida for looking good on camera, because well, I think they really do. To add on to that, Patrick Willems' review of this movie on Letterboxd uh, is really tied into what you're saying. Mm. His review reads, The moral of so many movies I've watched recently seems to be, quote, don't go to Florida, end quote. <laughs> Florida is, is, gets kicked, gets kicked. But yeah, I, overall, I think this is just a, a really great, noir detective movie i'm really glad we watched it i do have one other thing too i forgot i love good character intro scenes and we're when we're introduced to jennifer warren feeding the dolphins i just want to say that is such a fucking awesome character intro i do think that should be a category for the units by the way what best character intro if it yeah, comes to mind that's maybe not, not yeah but that's it for me note wise drew anything you wanted to kind of mention about this flick before we put a new one on the board I only have one note, and uh, it's a note, actually, that I wish I could have given the filmmakers. This movie should have been called Night Moves with a K-N, not with an N. Because he he has the speech in there where he does the night moves, and, and he literally says the name of the movie, but it's not the name of the movie. I could not disagree with you more. I love that they avoided that temptation. But what is night moves as in, like, the you know, just end night? Like, what does that mean, like, in relation to this movie? Night moves with just an N. Yeah, it's about the Bob Seger song. No, I'm just kidding. The it's Seger about, song came uh, out after this movie. No, I know it's about um, I don't know shifting around, you know, making moves in the night. But he's like most of this night. movie takes place in daylight. I don't know about that. A lot of the Florida stuff is at night. The ending, they the they entire leave, ending like, is in daylight. Then. Yeah, but it's like dawn and like they if there's the night before that they take the boat out. 
Um, I, I'm super glad they didn't call it K-N-ite moves because I think that would have just been kind of dumb. Um, I completely but, disagree. It just feels more 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 correct for what we see in the movie. But anyway, yeah, to each their own again on that one. All right. Well, what do you say that we get something new on the board and throw the dart? Sounds good, dude. I believe it's your week to get something up there to replace night moves. I'm not even going to fuck around on this one. Uh, it came up organically in the show. I'm putting Nashville on. Hell yeah, dude. I love organic choices. Let's get it on there, dude. Why not? So Nashville is going to go in at number 13. It's nice to f- have a movie that we don't even have to have that fear of. Is it available? Nashville's available. Whenever we hit it, we'll be able to track it down. Absolutely. Jared, why don't I recap the board real quick before we throw that dart? At number one, we've got You Can Count On Me. Number two, Akiru. Number three, Zed. Number four, Rio Bravo. Number five, Alien 3. Number six, Anomalisa. Number seven, Amadeus. Number eight, Election. Number nine, Get Carter. Number 10, The Limey. Number 11, Coraline. Number 12, Big Night. Number 13, Nashville. Number 14, The Karate Kid. Number 15, The Friends of Eddie Coyle. Number 16, Secrets and Lies. Number 17, Seven Days in May. Number 18, Snatch. Number 19, Strange Days. And number 20, Altered States. Love it, dude. Let's see what we get. Close in number, but on the other side of the board. Okay, what do we got? 14. We're knocking off a big old shamer for both of us. We're doing the Karate Kid. Hell yes, dude. All right, let's get in there. I don't even need to do a streaming check. It's fucking out there. You can find Karate Kid. Huge shamer for both of us next week. Absolutely. Looking forward to doing the Karate Kid next week and knocking off one that uh, has has plagued me since I was a child. And uh, every time I bring up that I haven't seen it, somebody says, wait, you haven't seen the Karate Kid? People so, get yeah. angry. People yeah. get angry with me. But yes, I'm, I'm we'll interested to see if it's uh, <laughs> if it's one of those that is held up purely by nostalgia, or if it's actually a well-made, good movie. You know, dude, that I'm, I'm curious about that. That should be like the framework because that, like, you know, you think about like the Goonies. That's a movie that does not hold up by all accounts. Mm-hmm. But but Sandlot. I'm not saying Sandlot doesn't. But like, there's a great, we'll have that chat next week. I'm looking absolutely, to it. absolutely. Well, that'll be next week. That'll do it tonight, though, for our episode on Night Moves. Thank you so much for listening, everybody. Please remember to rate, review, and give us a follow on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you like to listen. If you want to keep in touch or give us a recommendation, drop us a line at dartboardmovienight at gmail.com. Follow us on Instagram at dartboardmovienight. Artwork for the show is created by Veronica Roman, and all of our music is by Eric Williams. Play us out, Eric. Sorry, Mac. Light up. Bi-weekly shout out. Shout out. (laughs) (laughs) How have I never heard that before? That's so funny. Shout out. (laughs) Anyway, anyway. The bi-weekly shout out.
to Videodrome. <laughs> Fuck! It's still making me laugh. Shine out. <laughs> Stays Sorry. in. Right, Stays I'm, in. I'm gonna. I'm gonna. I'll, I'll pull it together. I'll pull it together. <laughs> oh no. Okay. All right. 